So I am joined by the Democratic candidate for superintendent of public instruction for the state of Idaho, Cindy Wilson. How's it going? Hi, Seth. I'm really happy to be here with you. So tell me a little bit about yourself. You grew up in Preston on a mm -hmm. compound with Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> am I not mistaken? <laughs> yes, that's a good way to put it. So I was born and raised in Preston, Idaho. And uh, yeah, Napoleon Dynamite, the young man who wrote it and produced the movie was our neighbor from across the street. And all my family's in the movie and all my neighbors are there. And yes, that was the kind of town that I grew up in. <laughs> and it was great. I had such a great experience growing up there. And to this day, most of my family still lives on our family farm that was homesteaded back in like 1878. So I just take away from that that you're bringing some of those Hollywood morals to Idaho <laughs> to teach our kids. <laughs> It's all about the underdog. <laughs> so, but you've also had a, a long career teaching in education, uh, up in Orofino, a couple of other places. Mm -hmm. what, what did you learn along the way? Oh, every single day in my 33-year teaching career, I learned something from my students. Yeah, I started uh, teaching back in 1984 in Pierce, Idaho, a little tiny rural town up in north central Idaho. And then stayed in Orofino for 24 years. I taught there. I also taught for three years of that time in Shelley, home of the Russets. I taught at the only two schools whose mascots were recognized by ESPN for crazy mascots, the Russets and the Maniacs. <laughs> so, yeah. And then about 11 years ago, my family, we moved into the Treasure Valley to Meridian, where I taught at Centennial for a few years in the West Ada District and just finished my career at Capitol High School in Boise District. So so why get out of the education sphere and move into politics? This isn't about the politics. Um, this is about ensuring that every student in this state has an equal education opportunity. Well, I'm a political science major from Boise State, and I've always been interested in government. I served as a page in the legislature back in 1976, and that's what really piqued my interest to study politics, and I did. And have taught it for 33 years, you know. Uh, being involved as a candidate is very different. And so I realize how important it is to just stay true to what I believe as an educator. I think it's a real advantage in this campaign that I've been in the classroom for all these many years. But I've also done grassroots lobbying. I've been lobbying the legislature for 30 years. Seriously, when I was up in Pierce, we would often um, fly down to Boise to lobby for education issues. I've been through, you know, all the major education reforms that this state has seen and always participated in that. I've participated in numerous legislative hearings. And then for the last three years, I've been sitting on the Board of Correction. How, how do you want to change education in Idaho? Because obviously you don't get involved in this race if you're pretty pretty okay with how yeah. things are going, with the status quo. Yeah. I mean, last night you even mentioned yourself, we just keep doing things because that's the way we've done them. Yeah. How, how would we do things if you were superintendent? Oh my goodness, I have such a vision for what we could do. And I've been talking with people all over the state who share this same vision. You know, we had some test scores that came out recently, our math scores were very low. And I was speaking with some folks who are um, kind of considered experts in that area about how we need to start integrating our math skills in with our STEAM programs and what we can do in that field of study. I think we need to make some changes in our school day and look at how we can benefit particularly secondary students in their school day. Uh, I also would like to look at ways we can make 
life a little more meaningful for teachers in terms of providing time for them. They need time for lesson planning. They need time uh, for professional development. And I'm not talking about professional development just within their district. I mean, that's great. But I have always been fortunate to be able to network with educators from around the state and even around the nation. And when we get together, there's an energy that comes from that that you always bring back to your classroom. And back in, uh, it was around 2006, that we started to see those significant cuts in education. And the number one thing that was cut first was professional development time and days and also money to just be able to attend different conferences and seminars and things. We have to put that back. Teachers have to have that. You know, we're losing teachers. Just this weekend, I've talked to three different people who told me about a teacher they know who was just starting their career who has left the teaching career. And uh, that's just so disappointing to me. We have to take care of people. How do you retain those teachers? How do you get teachers more time without just spending more money? Or is just the, the price tag just a part of it? Oh, you can restructure. We can restructure a lot of things. We can restructure our days. We can look at um, changes in uh, the time that we spend uh, on particular subject areas. And, and I think we can look at some things that we do with technology, too, that would help teachers uh, having more time. I don't think it's all about money. Money is significant. I mean, we have to be, we have to have competitive salaries with other professions that require a four-year college degree and that encourage you to have, well, not encourage, it's required to have those six extra credits, you know, um, for recertification regularly. So we have to be competitive with other professions that provide that kind of uh, education and training. So you'll be running, uh, I guess you are currently running against Superintendent Yerbara. Is she doing a good job? Superintendent Ibarra, um, I've been really disappointed in her performance as our state superintendent. You know, I'm very, very good friends with Marilyn Howard, who was our last uh, Democratic uh, superintendent of education in the state of Idaho. And I, as I've traveled around the state, people just loved her. They revere her. They love what she did for teachers, for students. She made great inroads. And she's helping me on my campaign. Sherry Ibarra has not given a vision to education in this state. She is an administrator, and I want to be a visionary. I don't want to do this alone. I am well-connected throughout the state and nationally. And what I want to do is bring in experts in all different areas and have them with teachers, people who are actually in the classroom, putting together plans of what we can do to increase our student performance and look at assessment. I think assessment is just ridiculous, what we've put kids through for these past 15 years in particular. We have to look at allowing teachers the expertise to assess students within their classrooms. Will there be any major policy differences right off the bat? Or is this going to be a form these groups, figure out what to do, and then maybe maybe we'll solve it in year two of yeah. the uh, Cindy Wilson uh, yeah. uh, 
term. Yeah, actually, I was just talking with someone about that, about some policy. Uh, we're putting together some policy papers uh, in different areas on education issues. And in talking with some of the people that um, have done this before and have pretty good knowledge of how to make it happen, they said it will take at least a year to get the policies into place that we want to start looking at. And then uh, we can really implement them in that second year. So we'll start to see some changes in the in the term, the four-year term. But uh, we're looking to the future. You know, I'm tired of Band-Aids. I want to look at a 10-year plan, a 20-year plan, and really say this is where we have to be in 20 years for these kids. So if you're elected, what should people expect the difference to be in education? Hope. I mean, right now you go into schools and people are just discouraged. Teachers, principals, superintendents. I talk to rural superintendents all the time. They still are not getting the discretionary funding they had prior to 2008 in the recession, if you allow for inflation. Can you believe it? And then I have some superintendent friends who, in their districts, they're unable to pass these supplemental levies that we're now living on. That's a result of that 2006 change in the tax structure. So one of the first things we really do have to look at is changing uh, our funding. You know, the funding formula is being looked at now, and I sit in on one of those meetings a couple of weeks ago. That has to be able to move us into the future because we're not, we shouldn't be educating kids in the same way in 2019 that we were in 1960. And frankly, we haven't moved much beyond that. And I think that's the difference between the opponent and myself. I want to think differently. I want to be willing to experiment. I want to give teachers more authority to do the things that they're trained to do in pedagogy. Now, the, the two things I hear most um, when talking to folks about education is school safety and go on rates. Mm-hmm. Um, what will you do differently? How, how do you get kids to go on and how do you ensure that those kids are safe? Okay, let's talk about school safety first because honestly, as I've traveled the state, I hear that from everybody. It's on our minds, everyone's minds. Um, I met with a great group of mothers up in Lewiston who have formed their group, uh, Moms Demand Action, and they're very concerned about what's happening in schools. And then I've been researching, uh, I have a team together that's researching policies in different states and looking at what other states are doing and how they're dealing with this. The problem we face here, we don't want our schools to look like forts or fortresses, but we want to make them safe. I know some of the high schools or some of the districts actually in the state are putting in um, some coded doors. And I think that's probably a good idea. I think that will be helpful. My own children, my grandchildren, um, were in a school in Baltimore, like right in downtown Baltimore. And it was very security-oriented, like parents had to check the children out. The children didn't leave without, you know, being escorted to um, the entrance or exit. And I think there are some things we can do along that line to help to make um, the school safer. But honestly, these school incidents we're having, those are just symptoms of the underlying problem. Kids today are feeling unbelievable um, isolation and anxiety and depression. And I can't say where that comes from. I mean, there are some people who are talking about possibilities that it's from being disconnected from uh, human communication so much, you know, that type of thing. 
I'd like to see us have more experts who can deal with those mental health issues and those personality issues within the early grades and identify those kids so we can give them the help they need. Really, that's the underlying problem. And Superintendent Ubarra has been having meetings about our school safety initiative. Is she going about it in the right way? Again, I think she's looking at the symptoms but not addressing the underlying real problem, which is how are kids coming to us in kindergarten? And that's where I really want to promote some early learning. If we have early childhood uh, learning opportunities for kids, we can identify kids who show that kind of significant uh, problem or disorder early on and get them help even before they enter kindergarten stage. Now, and you've had some uh, experience in the criminal justice system as well. How, Getting back to the go-on rates, how do we make sure that kids end up in college or a technical school and not in jail? What What's yeah. your plan to get that, whether it's 60 or some other number, what, what's your, your plan to get kids to be productive members of society and not incarcerated? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so glad you asked this question because I'm really passionate about this. And what I've seen after these last three years of serving on Board of Correction is our prisons are being filled with um, offenders who their needs were not met in the public school setting. So that's the first thing we have to do is we have to make sure that we get kids graduating and that we get kids, you know, earning some kind of certificate if they're not going on to college, right? We know the research tells us that kids have to be learning or reading at grade level by third grade. We've studied this. We know that California actually determines their uh, future prison population by their third grade reading scores. I mean, that's incredible, right? We have to fix that. And part of the reason that I'm looking at that early childhood learning is we have so many kids coming into kindergarten who are unprepared to uh, start that process. So we have to have them reading at grade level by third grade. And then they're learning content with their reading skills. So that will engage them more than those kids who didn't get to that point and they're getting left behind year after year after year till when they get to ninth grade It's all they can do to even stay in school. We have to engage young people. I tell you what, I'm hearing this from uh, people that I'm talking to in North Idaho, Southern Idaho, that they just don't feel like the kids are interested in learning. Guess what? Kids will be interested if we engage them. So we have to give them reasons to engage. And we have to get back to more hands-on type of learning, more project-based learning. We've been so stuck. And this all goes back to No Child Left Behind. We've been stuck with these long, uh, multiple-choice assessments and that type of thing. We need to switch that up and give students opportunity for choice in the classroom. You know, let's choose how you decide to present and show what you know. Let's give you the opportunity to pick this topic and then present it in the mode that you choose that um, that you feel comfortable with. And then we can determine, you know, where you are and if you're ready to move on or not. And that goes back to mastery-based learning, which I'm, I really like mastery-based learning, actually, because I think it keeps kids from just earning a grade to move on. It helps us to know that kids really get the content information. But... Today's society, Seth, we need more than content because our kids can look up anything on Google on their cell phone, right? Or their watches, whatever. We need to teach kids how to critically analyze that information and then use it. And they need to learn how to collaborate. And that's where my program for civics comes into play. We're just not doing enough to get kids talking to one another and 
with different opinions and trying to determine what the best policies and ways to move forward are. So we have to have more civics programs that will get kids talking about things like that. And then just give them opportunities to engage. Now, too many kids are being lost because we're focused on uh, only college for their after high school. I'd like to see us put more emphasis on the Votech programs, especially because we have a shortage of these kind of workers. If you come around the Ada County, you can't get construction workers right now. We don't have enough uh, electricians and plumbers and folks who are able to build and, and machinists and all that type of thing. So why don't we look more closely at how we can combine a program for multiple districts within one area. You know, they're doing that in southeastern Idaho in the Minicasia area. They're doing that, and they're doing it over at CASA, too, over in uh, the western part of the state. We can do that throughout the state. And you touched on for a second a, a problem that I was talking to a, a high school teacher in Lewiston about a little while back. She would go through the curriculum of her class, and on most things, the high school students would say, I can Google that. <laughs> Why do I need to learn that? I can Google that. And and she yeah. made a plea that we need to um, teach kids how to learn, yes. not teach them how to memorize. Yes. How, how do you change an education system to meet those needs as opposed to a list of facts and dates? Oh, I love it. We become facilitators. As teachers, we facilitate their learning. So the students have to direct the learning. So I, I thought of an example that um, I used to use in my classroom, and a lot of teachers do this. It's, it's the Socratic seminar. I always did a modified Socratic seminar. So I would have students say, read uh, the two treatises on government by John Locke. You know, it's difficult reading. And um, they would read it. They would mark it. You know, they would do a close reading of it. And then I'd say, tomorrow we're going to have a Socratic seminar on this, and uh, you need to be prepared because I'm going to step out and watch you discuss this. And I'll put a couple of questions on the board, and a couple of them will be related to the content of what they read. And then, this is where the higher order thinking comes in. Now put this writing of John Locke back in the 17th century in today's society. You make that connection now. How, talk to me about um, current presidents, whether it be Obama or Trump or whomever. Talk about how we can relate this reading that was written by a political philosopher back then to today, making it real for kids. It's not about co content memorization. It's about understanding the content, but moving it forward to your uh, practical application of it. And that's, that's what we need to focus on, and particularly at the secondary level. I think at the elementary level, you're still you know, doing more um, type factual memorization and that type of thing. But when we get into secondary, how are we applying it? Can you transfer your knowledge from that particular piece of reading into like a news report from today? That's where the excitement comes. And kids love that. And trust me, they engage in that. They love it when I step out of the classroom and they're in charge of the discussion. And some people will be saying, that's great for your classroom in Boise, but how do you do that for that, that kid in Pine or the kid that lives in Bone, Idaho or the kid in Owyhee County? How do you take the what you're accomplishing here in Boise and expand that to some of the rural communities that don't necessarily have the same resources. I taught for 27 years in rural communities. Well, not 27, but 24. <laughs> you can do it anywhere. And you know what else you can do? And kids love this. You can talk about controversial issues. I could talk about any controversial issue in my classroom. And it wasn't that kids couldn't speak up. I don't care if you're conservative or liberal or what viewpoint you had. 
you have to create a classroom culture, and this goes back to civics, where kids feel free to express their viewpoint, and then they just have to defend their viewpoint and why they feel the way that they do, and then teach listening. Listen to one another, and there's some ways that you can do this so that they can have um, a civil conversation, and I always call it in a search for truth, in the classroom on a controversial issue. We can talk about abortion. We can talk about LGBT rights. We can talk about um, immigration. We can talk about anything. You just have to set the classroom structure. And kids love that. They're hungry for it. They want that as part of their education. We need to do better at that. And I think we can, I've been trained for years on how to talk about these controversial issues in the classroom. And I would like to see us do more training for teachers on how to make that happen because kids engage in that. And that keeps them in school. And for those engaging in this election who are going to have to make a decision in November, what's the major difference between you and Superintendent Nirbara? Like, what, what, what are people going to be thinking about when they pull that lever or punch that dot? Oh, I want to give them a voice. I want to work for them. You know, before I left my classroom in May, um, I asked my students, what is your ideal education system look like in our state and they gave me ideas and suggestions and guess what they're brilliant I mean young people today we need to listen to them more and give them that voice that they deserve and teach them how to participate again you know we've had such an emphasis on testing and and frankly even on STEM projects which I think STEM and STEAM are so important but we can't let go of civics because it doesn't matter if you have a, a medical degree or a law degree or whatever it is you have if you don't understand how to participate in the democracy, how to be an informed voter, how to protest, how to uh, canvas and get uh, your your viewpoint out to your community, we have to teach kids how to do that. And that's why I think young people will want to vote for me, because I value their opinion. You know what I'd like to do? I'd like to have a state student council. And I'd like to have representatives from all over the state, from Boundary County to Franklin to Hawaii, all over the state, and bring these students into the State Department and talk to them. But more than talk to them, listen to them and say, what are you experiencing in your hometown? What do you think is happening within your schools? You'd be amazed the voice students have when given a chance. So your hometown was Preston. Uh, That was a home of Napoleon Dynamite. There was a shirt in that uh, movie, Vote for Pedro. (laughs) How have you not put together a Vote for Wilson shirt? It seems like that marketing pretty much writes itself. Thank you, Seth. I'll get on that today. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Uh, star of Napoleon Dynamite, <laughs> Cindy Wilson. It was great talking to you. Thank you. I'll be sure to have a little, uh, with gratitude, or give you some kind of credit for the T-shirt at the bottom of all my volunteer shirts. <laughs>